Since 1937, Ducks Unlimited has been the leader in waterfowl conservation with over 16 million acres of habitat conserved. DU supporters and volunteers have led the charge to fill the skies with waterfowl today, tomorrow, and forever. You too can play a role in leaving a legacy for the future of waterfowl hunting. To find an event near you or to join our volunteer team, go to www.ducks.org volunteer. Ducks Unlimited, conservation for a continent. Hello and welcome to the Standard Sportsman Podcast, where your hosts Brent Birch and Kaysen Short will discuss, debate, and detail trending topics within the sport of duck and goose hunting. Brent and Kaysen have over 80 years combined chasing ducks in Arkansas with a like-minded pursuit of leaving waterfowling better than they found it. Each week, you will hear impactful interviews and engaging guests guaranteed to make you a more informed and effective hunter-conservationist. Thanks for spending time with us today. Now, let us jump into today's show with the guys. Hey, it's Brent Birch and Casey Short back again for another episode of The Standard Sportsman. We are hurtling towards the end of duck season. In fact, we're recording on Monday with the season ending on Wednesday. And, you know, I've wrapped my season up. Uh, I have not hunted these these goofy weekdays, season ending on a weekday uh, that we've had the last few years. Um, and so I've I've already called it quits, but uh, Casey, I know you went this weekend. How how was it? What'd you see? Uh, saw a decent number of ducks. I uh, was happy with that, but you know we, we had that big thaw. Ducks fed hard during the week. Uh, temperatures kind of were mild. We had a lot of new water on the landscape with a bunch of rain. So kind of exactly what I expected to see: cloudy, rainy. You know they weren't having to feed or do anything. Birds around, non-committal. A lot of pairs of ducks. Hard to mm-hmm. break those pairs. You know it. More typical late January duck hunting, I guess. You know, you, you can get some really good ones if you got a freeze or got something that makes a move, but otherwise, they're just, uh, for me, they're typically not that great of days. Um, I like them on the front end a little better, but you know, the uh, we lost a weekend with the kids due to the freeze, so it was another opportunity to get them out uh, and take them. So we were there yeah. trying our best, having a good time nonetheless. The Standard Sportsman Podcast is brought to you by the following sponsors. Waterfowl hunters deserve to have a set of waders that can excel year in and year out throughout the duration of the season. So Sika Gear set out to build the best pair of waders ever. Constructed from Gore-Tex Pro Laminate, the face fabric offers added durability and is breathable in active working conditions while completely sealing out the elements. Importantly, they proudly stand behind all of their Delta Zip wader features with their 100% serviceable guarantee. And I'm speaking from experience as I have sent my original pair of sickle waders from the 2018 season back twice without a hiccup. Engineered to outwork, outlast, and outhunt everything else in the market, the Delta Zip Waiter from Sika Gear is the gold standard for reliability. The Chatham Jacket from Tom Beckby features the durable, weatherproof 8-ounce wax shelter cloth shell that develops a great-looking patina with use. I've actually worn this jacket the last couple of seasons and appreciate the shorter cut to it so it fits great inside my waders. It's also a really good weight for most Arkansas days of field. So if you like to mix a little vintage look with your technical gear waders, this is the jacket. You can find the jacket online at tombeckby.com. You can also find it in their brick and mortar locations in Wilson, Arkansas, Birmingham, Alabama, and the new store in Oxford, Mississippi. Well, I mean, that's, that's kind of what you do towards the end anyway. Um, you know, from my perspective, we We've chased them pretty hard, especially if you're a an early speckle belly season guy like like the two of us are. You've been you've been out there enough, and it, yeah, you know we're also dealing with. I heard on the we were also dealing with a full moon, which is mm-hmm. makes it tough. It warmed up. Of course, there was water everywhere. I heard on the the news this morning. It's the uh, wettest January in Arkansas since 2007. And it wow. was the ninth wettest all time. So there's water everywhere. everywhere. <laughs> uh, we can't we yep. can't even get rid of it. Uh, you know, we got uh, ditches full uh, that we Same. can't even dump it. Yep. So uh, we got way more water in some spots. And and so the ducks have just decided. Spread out. Yeah. It, we got to, to, me, I'm, I'm, to me, 
Yeah, to me, this is almost worst case scenario for low low bird number a year. You put a lot of water on the landscape, and you know they get really thin. Uh, I know the drought has been tough on everything, but at least for the majority of the season, the birds we did have kind of had to concentrate a little bit. If we'd had this much water all year long, it would have been even tougher. I'm afraid. Oh, worst season ever. By, yeah. It would have been by or not ever, but. <laughs> uh, but because there were some pretty pretty lean years there in the late 80s early 90s yeah. but yeah. uh it would have been tough it would have been a tough tough season if we would have had uh all the water you know wherever wherever it is now because uh there's a bunch of it well for a lot of the guys on instagram it would have been worse season ever but uh, uh yeah 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 perspective deal there that's right that's right yeah. But we, look, let's let's course correct. Let's talk about yeah. something fun today. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. That's exactly. Yeah. So we, yeah, we were, uh, you know, kind of kicking around some some ideas to to talk about something different. We've been heavy into the science and and getting perspectives around the country, but there is something fun coming up this weekend, and and the harvest really has nothing to do with it. But uh, we've got the second day of the, you know, we do a. Uh, little split youth season here in Arkansas, and uh, one of them was back in in December, and then uh, we do the one the traditionally the week after the, the weekend after the season closes. Uh, so that's coming up on us this Saturday, and I know you, given the kids, uh, your kids' age, you've got a, a big weekend planned. Yeah, yeah, we're we're gonna go and get out there one more time. It'll be fun. Uh, it'll be fun for them, especially kid focused as I am with my children. It's always kind of a juggling act, right? So, like, we're hunting this weekend, brother-in-law, other guides, kids, and it's kind of you're watching the duck work and you're trying to get them worked into. We had a girl who's hunting with us for several years now. She's not managed to kill her first duck, and she's had pellets bounce all around them on the water. She's missed them. I just it, it had one land the other day, and the, my 11 month old dog broke. He's broke two times this year. He broke then, you know, know, just what could go wrong for this girl has gone wrong. And anyway, so you're, you're it's a juggling act, right? Like you're trying to decide, is this duck going to get close enough for the kids or is it time to go ahead and call the shot for everyone else that's still participating in the hunt? So I say all that to say that the youth day will be really nice for them because there's no other focus besides them. And that's not to say they take a back seat to the adults. We, we work really hard to, to be kid focused when they're out there, but they're still on a hunt with everyone else too. And in some sense, I work hard for my kids to understand that the world doesn't cater to them all the time either, if that makes sense. So anyway, <laughs> well, the youth weekend is definitely yeah. for them. Yeah. And, that, and that's awesome. Um, Cause I think that's a big thing that, you know, gets talked about some, um, you know, the, that, yeah, the youth weekend is great. It's awesome. Cause it's uh, a focus you don't have to worry. Yeah. You don't have to worry about the stretch shot for a kid. That's a, that's a layup for an adult, mm-hmm. possibly pending the shooter. <laughs> not everybody's a, not everybody's dead. Eye. Uh, my, I missed a duck. I missed one the other day and my eight year old with his four ten just smoked it. I was like, I was really proud of him and then really embarrassed at the same time. Yeah. 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 I've been there for sure. But, <laughs> but you know, you talk about creating a future duck hunter, uh, somebody's going to, you know, perhaps be in the sport at some level. Uh, I don't know that necessarily everybody has to be at the level we are or some of the listeners to the show are, but you get somebody that, you know, appreciates the sport, appreciates the resource, the habitat, all the things, you're not going to create that person by taking them just on youth hunts. Um, that's right. That's, that's, that's not going to get it done. And it's not nope. going to get it done where you take them and, and they're just kind of, you know, put over in the corner of the blind and, and hey, we'll let you shoot here in a little bit. It's time for it's the adults' time to shoot, and you know all those things. You create the experience, um, and I think this is what I was fortunate to get to do as a kid, and what and where my you know affinity for this sport comes from is is I was very fortunate to be able to participate as a kid, and and got to learn to call at a young age you got to be around people that wanted to show me this is how this is how you do it and we talked about mentorship some last week with Perrin um and I think that's a big thing that that uh, you know you, you taste great but 
you know, you want to create a duck hunter, you need to take them as much as you can. And, and of course there's mm. some sort of things you can't and, and all that. But I know you, you set aside days there at, at, at your club, you know, you're an outfitter, you're an outfitter, but you set aside periods where it's just family hunts. You don't, you don't client hunt all 60 days. So I, I think that's, right. that's crucial to creating a, a future duck hunter that, that really appreciates this sport for what it is. Yeah. You know, that's always been my knock on, on the youth day. I don't want to say system, but on the, on the youth hunt, you know, I, I think there are some people that kind of use it as a crutch, you know, to, to take a kid or somebody just on that day versus maybe emphasizing it more through the season. And that's certainly not uh, to indict everybody of that, but I I definitely think it happens because we didn't have that. We didn't have youth days. You know, we, we just went, um, and then I know, like I've heard stories too of dads taking a gun on a youth day to, oh, I'm just, I'm just killing cripples for him. Oh, come on now, that's illegal. <laughs> you and I both know it. And I mean, I, I've got a friend that listens to the show, and I know he shot a banded can of the goose on a youth day one day, and I'm like, dude, that is not what the youth day is for. <laughs> no, no. Uh, but anyway, well, wow, this one's message about that story. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, you, th- you think about when we, when, back when we were kids and, and with there n- not being a youth day, um, you know, was, I think it was probably almost required our dads take us to give mom a break. I know that was the, that was part <laughs> yeah. of it in, in my household uh, growing up that, you know, my brother and I were drug along often um, and, and gone for the whole weekend, you know, leave Friday when we got out of school and if we didn't get checked out early and back Sunday afternoon or Sunday night. So you know, really fortunate to get to get to spend that time and and like I said before, just appreciate this whole thing versus versus some of the experiences. And I think that's key to 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 grow a a future hunter conservationist because that's what that's what we need more of in the sport. Uh, you know, less of the takers, more of the investors. Um, kind of that that mentality that we've talked about, and I think you do that by creating a really good experience for kids as early age as you can. And we'll get into some of the, the ways you're doing that. My children are much older. Uh, my youngest son is 23 and, and everybody's older than on up from there. So I don't even remember taking them on youth hunts. I think I took them enough that by the time the season was over, they were, they were done like I was, um, and didn't feel the need to trudge back out there and, you know, oftentimes February, despite what everybody believes, not everybody, I shouldn't say that, but despite what a contingency <laughs> believes, that's not when we just got a bunch of ducks on the landscape. You got a bunch of ducks yeah. that have been here a long time that are that are uh, concentrated where there's still remaining water because um, so many people let their water go as soon as the season ends. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, February, if, if we go down there and clean up camp, you know, the week because, you know, when hunting was over that last day of the season, which was typically a Sunday, not this Wednesday stuff like we're dealing with this year, you know, we kind of halfway shut down camp, but we were ready to go. Uh, and then we always come back a weekend later and, and really close down camp. And you just didn't see that much waterfowl. So I, I didn't feel guilty for, you know, that we didn't go. Cause like I said, right. they get to go, got to go plenty, got to shoot plenty, mm-hmm. know what they shot when they shot, um, or know when they missed when they missed and, and all that. And, and uh, so I, d- I didn't do the youth day deal even when they were of age, when that was kind of first getting going. But you're in the you're in the heartbeat of it now with with your kids because uh, you got them all in the age range uh, that that uh, they can get out there and enjoy it a little bit. Yeah, <clears throat> we sat on the sideline. Well, really, up until now, this will be our first year doing it. But um, you know, several years ago, we were we were banding ducks this time of year or right after season went out. So we were busy with that and that took priority. And, and most of the time, you know, my kids are kind of like what you just said, that they'd hunted enough and, and done enough that one more day wasn't really worth the trade off of hunting in February. Uh, honestly, if we hadn't missed as much as we did for the freeze, we might not be doing it this year, but they're a little older and, and a little more gung ho about it. So, uh, you know, they're, they're actively lobbying to hunt this weekend. So we're going to, we're going to be able to shot, but, um, you know, I'm the same as you I grew up around a guide outfit, uh, don't remember not being involved in it, you know, went 
every weekend. I, if I could hitch a ride to the lodge that weekend with somebody, I was there. Um, as soon as I got old enough to start tagging along with my BB gun, that's that's what I did. You know, we didn't have uh, we didn't have finishers back then. We just had me. So that was my job as a five and six year old was shooting cripples when they dog brought them back. I'd take my BB gun and finish them off. So, um, <laughs> and I, my dad always had a he had a phrase. He he said it's not uh, it's not quality time. It's quantity time. And I think his his message or his effort was to spend as much time as possible. You spend as much time as possible with your children. They're going to pick up the good things. And I think, you know, like we just mentioned, or you just mentioned, you know, teach them to be givers, not takers. That doesn't come in one day a year that that comes by showing them time and time again, how you make those choices. So, um, but it, you know, I say that it, it wasn't easy either as a kid going hunting. Uh, no oh, man, no. <laughs> I mean, we had, I had those little black boots with the red stripe. I don't even know what brand they were, but they certainly weren't knee boots. They were not much above the ankle. I had to get carried everywhere I went. Uh, didn't really have warm clothes. We had coveralls. When's the last time you saw somebody wear coveralls to go duck hunting? <laughs> it's been a minute. <laughs> I bet you've done it, though. <laughs> uh, I have a picture from 1981 <laughs> with my dad and my two uncles, his two brothers, and I've got on the coolest pair of duck camo walls. Yep. Uh, cover coveralls. I'm at Crockett's oh, yeah. Bluff on the White River. Um, uh, so yeah, I definitely had a pair of those things. Yeah, they are not in style anymore. But man, no. <laughs> uh, but it was a, man, it was a struggle as kids. I can remember um, the first time I ever got to go hunt the you know the timber on our place, deep water. I had to borrow my mother's Converse waders to go hunt out there. Cause that, you know, we didn't have kids waiters. I, mean, yeah. I, I was I don't know, 10, 12 years old. I mean, big enough to wear her waders. Uh, so it's a lot easier. Now I, I, I look at my kids and think, man, you, you guys have it so easy. You don't even understand. <laughs> oh man. No clue. I mean, I, I have vivid memories of, of beginning to hunt. We I've talked about it on the show before we grew up at hunt, hunting at Crockett's bluff on the white river. And it was, it was set up better for kid, but it was still really cold, mainly because, like you said, the you know the gear wasn't that great. Uh, you're in an elevated blind, so you got cold air underneath. So your feet just you just I mean like bricks. <laughs> they were so cold. <laughs> uh, so then we, but about the same time you're talking about when I was about eleven or twelve, my dad got in a in a club there in the the G Ridge Arkansas area, which is between Humnoke and Stuttgart. Um, and we didn't even have, when we started hunting there, we didn't even have uh, three wheelers because there were no four wheelers back then. This is, this is early eighties, but there were three wheelers, <laughs> but we didn't own one. So we would park at the highway at where the levee road is, you know, where the combines would come down off, off the highway and go out into the fields to do the farming. Mm -hmm. We would park up there at the highway and because of the, the roads, the levee roads were not good enough to drive a vehicle on. Plus, you know, you get out there in the mud, tears it up. So the farmer didn't allow it, all this other jazz. So we didn't have a conveyance to take us from the highway to the, to the, uh, to the, where we were hunting, uh, out in the field. And so it was, we even called one of them the slogging pit because it was a slog to get out there. <laughs> and you carry, of course, you carry all the gear out and by, you know, early eighties hunting was my recollection. It was pretty dang good. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so you walk out there with decoys, shells, guns, all that. And you, and then you're carrying all that out plus the ducks you killed. And so it was, yep. you know, usually my dad, my brother, myself, maybe a guest here and there, but I mean, and that back then that far, and we were killing six, you know, what would be the equivalent of the six duck limit today. We were killing our mallards plus any variety of, of the quote unquote scrap ducks. So, I mean, we were carrying out a pile and carrying it, not throwing it on a buggy and driving it out. Yeah. So it was, uh, and you're, you know, you're slogging through a rice field. That's got, you know, the old way of, of farming with the levees in the middle of the field. And, you know, if they cut rice when it was wet. I was going to say, yeah, brutal. cut later in the year. I can guarantee you it was wet and rutted and just. Oh, uh, all that brutal, <laughs> brutal. Yeah. And, and no buggy. I think my, I can't remember when my dad finally got a four wheeler. Uh, but it was a while. It was probably, it was Probably when I was finishing, right after I finished college, which so that would have been in the mid nineties. Um, 
I kind of remember him getting a four-wheeler four -wheeler, uh, somewhere in there. might have been even later than that. But it, I don't know. It was tough. So, yeah, I don't want to hear my kids ever whining about uh, anything. Because, <laughs> I mean, this Any, was like yeah, the anything. <laughs> baton death march that you heard about in World War II. It was just awful. But yeah. you did it because you knew your opportunity was good. Um, and the experience, and just, I just, that's where I got ate up with it. And, um, it sure wasn't the easy street and no, and it's, uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I don't want to go back there. I don't want to go back to those, that gear uh, and, and have no, to walk I mean, out there like we did back then. But man, it was, it was something to see. Yeah. Well, while it's easier on the kids, it's also a lot easier on me too now. So Oh no I doubt. warmer than I did. So I'll, I'll, I'll take it. Uh, I just wish they knew how tough it could be. Yeah. Yeah. You did. Yeah. And you definitely, if you made that trek out there and several, several of the fields were like that. And my dad still hunts this farm today, but it's night and day, uh, you know, what the farm is like and, and, um, and how he gets around in his Honda Pioneer. <laughs> so it's not, it's not like walking out there, but anyway, it was, uh, it was also, if you slogged all the way out there and you got cold or you fell in, it was too bad. <laughs> Tough it out. <laughs> Because that's, that's right. too it's too far to go back and and uh, and all that. So I think you, you also develop a little bit of toughness. Even though I will say, as uh, as I've gotten older, I'm back to getting cold like I was a kid. I'm not as I'm not as tough to the elements now. So I got to wear heavier duty stuff and everything else. But thank goodness the yeah. kids today have have the gear they do because that was that was, there were some miserable hunts back in the day. Light boots, the lightest pair of knee boots you're ever going to find. Weighed in at just 13 ounces each. Putting on a pair of light boots is truly a jaw-dropping experience. Yeti. From the legendary hard coolers to the new Barware series, Yeti has you covered. Or check out one of my favorite new products from them, the Loadout Series Go Box. Yeti. Built for the wild. Uh, for sure. And, and, you know, on the subject of, <clears throat> excuse me, on recruitment, that's a big thing. If you're going to have them out there and get them this experience it needs to be a good experience because we we want kids in hunting we want them to learn we want them to learn from somebody who you know is, is teaching the right way too that that comes back to kind of the some of the culture issues we have with duck hunting so their comfort and their success and their enjoyment is should be you know the highest priority when you're taking a kid duck hunting yeah i mean the saying goes you only get one chance to make a first impression and you could take them on a you know, a freezing rain hunt with inferior uh, clothing and boots and there are no ducks. It's going to be hard to convince that one to come back again. Uh, so, you got, right. you know, part of it's picking your spots, um, not necessarily the spots where you think you're going to, you know, everybody's going to limit. That's not what I'm talking about. Right. Uh, now, yep. I, I do believe it helps to have some activity. Birds are moving. Mm -hmm. Birds are working. People are calling. Dogs are doing their thing. There is shooting. Uh, birds are being harvested because, um, I mean, you can be a bird watcher or you can be a duck hunter. Um, bird watching is a lot cheaper. And <laughs> you can uh, yep. you can get a kid interested in that maybe. But, I mean, most of them want to go out there because they're, you know, they probably got a friend that does it or they've seen dad do it, heard dad talk about it. So definitely optimize the first handful of times you take them, and that's where the hook gets set. Yeah. So that's that's, again, you know, back to the February youth hunt. Um, I, I don't, I don't really get it, but we try to pick days, especially if it's a, a really small kid and it's their first hunt. Um, like for instance, uh, my, my daughter wanted to go this weekend. My wife was like, you should take her. I'm like it's raining. It's kind of cold. Wind's blowing. Like I, I'm happy to take her, but that's not the best environment for her first hunt. So we like, even if it's afternoon, sunny, mild, warm weather, you want to be able to kill a few birds so they can get that connection to it, but just don't take them out there and make them miserable the first time. That's the, no. the biggest thing. So no, and 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 a lot of people or a lot of clubs don't do the December Youth Day because they want to oh. back off the ducks um, because yeah. they just hunted them and they've just the ducks really have just gotten here and and all that. So uh, you know that Youth Day gets kind of skipped. So uh, the February. February one becomes more popular, but I'm still not convinced that's the that's the time to have it. I think a lot of adults have checked out. Um, I think so. Yeah, I 
and you know, I don't know how it would work. I'd have to ask the question with framework, you know, we can only stop and start it twice, but is it stopping it? If we, I don't know if it's really stopping it for a youth day, you know, you could take a weekend in early December that's bookended by regular season and potentially have that day or both of them. And then your clubs aren't, I get it. Like we, we don't do it during December split because that's the time off for letting those birds rest. But if it were a weekend that the time was off, you're not really resting them much in two days. It would it would work out better. Yeah, like, yeah, definitely worth looking into as far as maximizing it because I don't think it's maximized very well right now. I don't think we're getting the full benefit out of it. Uh, no, for e- for either private or public, I, I think it's it's not doing everybody as much justice as it could. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I, I do think it it would be worthy of another look, just like we've talked about on here that. I think the entire season framework inside the parameters of what U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service gives us, I think there's some tweaking available there, and I think Ute Day fits into that tweaking. Um, yeah. So, but, you know, we'll, we'll get into that between now and May, I'm sure, because that's that's the next time we're we're setting some of this stuff in stone. But, um, but yeah, let's let's go ahead and talk about – I mean, because you, you've actively got kids, uh, you know, in this youth piece, and I think – part of the reason we wanted to do this show was to kind of talk about some of the things that, that pop up when the, when the kids really become the focus, their gear, uh, the weapon that they carry, uh, kind of what's available to them. Um, I'm kind of past all that. My, my kids both obviously shoot all adult stuff and I don't, I don't claim to be up to speed on all that. So I thought it'd be good to kind of talk about some of the stuff you're doing and may help some people that are either trying to get their kid in the sport, trying to improve their kid's experience in the sport, or just are, are just searching for answers on some things related to, to kids being involved in, in duck hunting that, that maybe they don't know the answer to, and maybe you're not going to find uh, online. Uh, and you've got some, I think you've got some great insight just because you are, you're juggling three boys uh, there and now your daughter's wanting to get out there and experience a little bit. So why don't we start off? Why don't we talk a little bit about, you know, clothing wise and how you're, you're keeping these kids um, comfortable out there mainly. Cause that's the main thing that the more comfortable you're going to make them, the longer they want to stay and experience it versus getting out there and going, dad, I'm ready to go. But, uh, but why don't you kind of talk through some of that? Cause there's different brands doing different things and, and really trying to, do what we're preaching here is get these kids uh, loving the sport early on and, and build a duck hunter for life. Yeah, absolutely. Um, like I said, they've got so many good viable options now compared to when you and I were getting started. Um, and I, I dress mine pretty similar regardless of the weather. Um, you know, if it's 40 degrees or if it's 30, I still kind of layer them pretty similar they don't get out and do all the exercise and moving around like we do. So they don't have a tendency to build up much body heat. And again, they don't complain about being a little bit warm like we do. So I'd stay pretty consistent with how they're dressed unless it's, you know, 55, 60. But, um, I mean, it's kind of similar as us. We start with a base, base layer. Uh, and amazingly, there's some really good Merino base layers for children out there. Um, REI usually has some really, really affordable options. We found those, uh, which is great. So start with a base layer. Um, in our particular set- setup, go with a mid-layer just like we would. Uh, Sitka makes, I think it's a heavyweight hoodie. Uh, same thing they make for adults, which is a great little mid-layer. Um, we'll go on top of that with kind of a down or synthetic down option. Uh, I think Sitka calls theirs their Rankine hoodie. Uh, which is a good option for them. And that the good thing about both of those hoodies, um, you know, if we go out and they're just wearing a regular ball cap and it's a little cooler than they want and they can pull the hoodies up and they're warm. I, as an adult, hate wearing a hood, but doesn't seem to affect kids quite as much. So, um, and that's kind of, you know, through their outer layer. Now, I will say we put uh, a cyclone jacket on them, which is just a Gore-Tex outer layer. I didn't do that the first year or two. And then it finally kind of occurred to me like, man, what they're wearing is not windproof. And we don't hunt the rain a whole lot just because they're kids. And that's, I don't even really like hunting in the rain, but so I dress them in that more for the wind protection than the water. Cause again, we don't hunt a lot in the precipitation. Although if it happens to be spitting rain or a little bit of dew, it's not too bad, but cutting the wind off of them is just as good for them, you know, as it is for us. And there's other options out there besides Sitka. 
Uh, I know Drake makes a good three and one uh, late season jacket. It's kind of more of that traditional three and one coat, just as it says, you know, like it's got a zip in liner, uh, which gives you some options there. Um, and then Shin Gear makes some mid layers and then a shell that's kind of similar to what Sitka Gear is doing. So those are some options. We've got some uh, some natural gear stuff down in the toddler sizing. I don't know a lot of people that make toddler stuff, but natural gear, I think, still does. Um, so those are some really good options, too, for the little bitty ones. Um, a lot of times you've taken a, a three or four year old out there. You're dressing them in some bright, puffy coat that is not intended for hunting. So um, those are good options. But that's kind of the outer layer stuff. It's like I said, it, it's a light years ahead of my walls, <laughs> coveralls. <laughs> and not even close. Uh, yeah. I thought it was I, I cool when you got the, you know, when you got the Columbia three in one jacket back in the day. Yeah. That absolutely. was like really, and those things, I mean, that back, Back then, it was effective gear considering, but compared to the, the the technical gear of today, it's not even close. Isn't that amazing? I mean, those were, everybody had to have one. They were amazing. They were worn. They were all the things that you wanted. And I look at one today that's still in my closet. I'm like, I wouldn't wear that thing on a bet. No, <laughs> no, no. Uh, but it's just that we've come a long way in, in adults and in kids. So even on the, like, look, we talk about the boots, right? jump ahead to waiters it's insane what waiters are available out there for little kids i mean um this is a funny story i had a, a friend on one of those internet forums back in the day but we were my wife was pregnant with our first son he worked at some sporting goods store that has those uh miniature like displays on the shelf and on his last day of work he grabbed a a miniature set of like Hodgman waiters on his way out the door. They're not meant to be worn, but they fit like a two or three year old perfectly. So oh, wow. <laughs> they're tiny. Like they're so small. They stand up on their own. Like you don't have to roll them down. Um, oh, wow. But they, th there's a lot of really good small options out there. Like Oki wear is a brand that makes really good toddler waiters. Now they're neoprene. They're not insulated, but if you're, you know, kind of still in that, that area where you're carrying a kid back and forth, or maybe they want to take a couple steps and hold your hand, that's going to let them do it. Um, you know, they can get in water. It's a little bit deeper and neoprene still has good insulating qualities. I mean, that's going to keep them warmer than the little black boots I used to wear. So, uh, you get in some other, there's some other youth waders out there too. Drake, I know makes a good, uh, they make some insulated breathable waders, which I think is a really good option. Um, you know, Shin Gear has their youth program, which is a, a great program uh, for kind of moving up as your kid grows. Um, I do prefer the insulated bodies versus just the regular breathables like you and I wear in Sitka. And I say that just because with that insulation in that body, kids stay a little bit warmer. Um, they don't quite have the options of layering with pants quite like we do. So I tend to go more for the, uh, the insulated bodies. You get into some kind of sizing issues a little bit when you you start looking at a little bit older kids you know in the eight ten year olds range you've got some that can uh, you know some boys that are starting to wear women's sizes or they kind of get into youth sizing some of the youth sizing is adult boots but shorter inseam kind of gets all over the place but most everybody's got sizing charts uh and if you can't figure it out in the sizing chart shoot them an email they probably have someone there working for them i know drake does that will answer an email and help you out with sizing so you can get them in the right waders and keep them pretty darn comfortable so like i said it's it's insane what's out there and available to to kids there's not much excuse to not take your kids now no that's that's exactly that's exactly right yeah that's the clothing side of it i mean that's as far as kind of my setup and stuff that we have uh but i think what probably deserves more detail and discussion is the gun side of it because if they're not if a gun doesn't fit them there's little chance they're going to be comfortable and there's even less chance they're going to like it no for sure yeah i mean that you know firearms shotguns have come a long ways too i mean we grew up i think my brother and i had a single shot you know savage 20 gauge that we learned on and then my my boys learned on a the exact same gun, except it was a 410. Um, 
but now you can get a, a really, and, and single shots are great, obviously for, for learning, you know, first time out trying to experience, you know, that you actually have a shotgun in your hand, um, takes away some of the danger, just the way that, you know, one of those operate and mm-hmm. all that. But, but, uh, today, I mean, you've got miniature versions of shotguns that we're, we're able to shoot, which is, which is pretty wild. Um, but you can, it can make a big difference with a kid. You get an ill-fitting shotgun, uh, that they can't quite shoulder or they can't quite, you know, stabilize. And that first shot or two goes off out of that thing. And you may turn a kid off for a while. I had, I definitely had that with my younger son. Who's now, he's now 23. He would have been, I don't know, five or six then, but he, the first time he decided he was ready to, to shoot, um, it didn't go that great. And he was, he'd carry a, he'd carry that 410, but he would, he would never cock the hammer back. Um, he just yeah. kind of observed because it, that first experience at that age, um, kind of threw him for a loop and he eventually came around and got more comfortable and, and all that. But, um, I think you've had a similar, a similar experience with one of yours that, uh, you know, that, that first opportunity you need to, and it's hard to do that too, doing that in the field. Uh, you know, you got to go shoot some cans and maybe some, That's right. you know, throw some skeet for them to get them comfortable before you're sitting in a, in a blind or in a pit or something different, um, too. And I think part of it, part of it with a young kid too, could be, depending on their personality, can be a little bit intimidating, uh, especially if they're in a, on a hunt with adults and everybody's jumping up there and bang, 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 you know, you got shotguns going off everywhere and they, they have some apprehension, you know, am I going to embarrass myself? Am I going to miss? Am I not going to how to do it? Uh, all that. So you, you could get a little kid that kind of backs off of it that way too. I've seen that happen before that, uh, you know, a little bit intimidated by the, the whole event itself when you know, sure. somebody calls a shot. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, even my two older ones who, who hunt now for, one of them five years now, you know, it's uh, been shooting for five years. He's still, you know, his picky about what shot he wants to take. Um, but yeah, so uh, to your, to your original comment there, I had a, a little bit of an issue with my five-year-old this year. Uh, he, he had shot a little 410 uh, this summer or some, you know, shot a skeet on the ground and hit it. And, you know, that was the coolest thing ever, you know? So I knew that he had shot the gun and was comfortable with the gun. Um, now we'll, we'll get into, different gun choices and, and kind of I know where I, I think I made my mistake, but so we're hunting Thanksgiving morning or so right there around there. Um, just me and my boys. So I've got three of them. So my hands are completely full. Um, <laughs> duck lands on the water. You know, I get him shoulder the gun. He shoots recoil. I think the, uh, the stock kind of slapped him in the face a little bit. So in everything that was going on, I didn't make sure that he'd properly mounted it. He's a really, really big five-year-old. So I didn't, wasn't trying to help him support it. He was really kind of on his own uh, and did not enjoy it and hasn't shot again this year. And I'm kind of struggling with how to keep him involved right now. He still goes, says he has fun, but that didn't, didn't go as well. And that's not a, that's not a knock on that gun. I'll, I'll explain some of my options that I've used um, for kids. So he was shooting. It's a little Mossberg. Uh, I think it's a 510 mini super Bantam. Uh, they make it in a 410 and a 20 gauge. And the cool thing about that gun, uh, it's got a 10 and a half inch length of pull. You can, it comes with a spacer, so you can move it up to 11 and a half inch length of pull. And that's going to be the biggest thing that, that at least I'll discuss and talk about is the length of pull on these shotguns because the average adult shotguns like 14 or 14 and eight, something like that. So you can't, you can't put an adult gun in a kid's hands and expect them to shoot it or be comfortable shooting it. Um, I, my first gun, similar story as yours, I had to borrow, or not, she wasn't using it at the time, but my mom's 1100. She had a 1100 light 20 that had been cut off to fit her. And I think that gun is somewhere maybe just shy of 13 inches length of pull. Um, so I was a little, I, either shooting one that was a little bit big or maybe I was a little bigger before I started shooting it. But uh, anyway, back to my five-year-old this year. Um, I think what I did wrong is my other two, when they started shooting ducks at five years old, 
they used what's a, I guess a highly modified Remington 870. So my grandfather had a, what they call a standard 20. So the standard 20s, be it 1100 or 870, they were 20 gauge guns built on 12 gauge receivers. And Remington didn't do that for very long before they made a smaller 20 gauge receiver specific for the 20s and 28s. But the upside to those standards, because they're on that 12 gauge receiver, is they're actually heavier. So I've got a standard 20. The barrel has been cut down to somewhere around 19 inches. So it has no choke in it, but that's all right. It is what it is. Uh, and on a 870, they've got that screw that holds the stock on. So you don't have to worry about any sort of action spring or anything tucked back there in the spot in the stock. You can cut them really, really short. So it's cut down basically to the same size as that Mossberg that I mentioned, but it's substantially heavier. And I typically will run a gauge reducer in it. So they're going to shoot 410 out of a 20 gauge and there's little to no recoil. And I think if I had, if I had been smart enough to have done the same with him that did with the other two, that situation would have gone better. He would have enjoyed it and would have changed the entire year for him. But I got uh, out over my skis a little bit, thought he was big enough to do it because he had shot the gun before and it didn't go well. So that just shows how easy it is to turn one off really from, from hunting a little bit or shooting. So uh, right now I'm trying not to push him too hard. He's going and still participating a little bit. So, we're going to leave it at that until he's ready to start shooting again. But but those are two really good options for little bitty kids. Um, I think when you get down to that kind of that 10 and a half inch length of pull, you're in an area that that a small kid can shoot. But the the recoil is still, it's significant for them. You know, something that we would never consider kicking very hard, you know, for a little kid. It's, it's significant. Or maybe it startles them more than anything else. Yeah, for sure. And, and that's the thing. And, and it's hard. I mean, some some kids are just fearful by nature. Uh, some of them, it's a, like you said, a bad experience. Gun jumps up, hits you in the jaw. That's going to make you a little apprehensive because, you know, most five-year-olds have not been popped, popped in the jaw uh, <laughs> like that. So, um, yeah, but it, it's, it's really cool how, um, how far that's come, but you may talk about, it, cause this is, this question has come up before and I've had people ask me uh, because you've mentioned it before, but maybe elaborate just a little bit on uh, the gauge reducer um, and what that is, because I I wasn't familiar with it, and uh, I've had people ask me, man, what's he talking about when he mentions this gauge gauge reducer? <laughs> All right, yeah. Uh, so they are, I think they're originally designed for break action shotguns, over and under, double barrel, mm-hmm. um, Midway USA, and maybe Brownells has them. Uh, I want to say their name is Mini Skeeters. Uh, like skeet shooting skeet. Um, and they're typically longer because they're made for break action guns. So what it is, the outside diameter is you can get them for a 10 gauge to reduce to a 12 gauge. You can get them from a 12 to go to a 20, vice versa, uh, 20 down to a 28 or 20 to a 410. So it will fit in a, let's say it's a, in our case, a 20 to a 410. So it fits in a 20 gauge gun. You will, before you put it in, you will slide a 410 shell in inside of it and then load it into the gun and all it does is center it up firing pin hits it holds it in the chamber and allows you to shoot a smaller shell through a bigger chamber and bigger barrel and the only reason for that is there's not a ton of heavier 410 shotguns a lot of your 410s are their single shots or they're like this little mossberg which is great my eight-year-old shoots at 410 right now and loves it. He is not scared at all. He tried a 20 the other day, didn't love it as much. He went back to the 410. But it's good and it's lightweight, so he can shoot it and handle it, does that really well. But if you've got, you know, a, a five-year-old that's trying to shoot, it's a little bit too light for them. So the gauge reducer lets you shoot a heavier gun with a lighter load. Now it handicaps them a little bit too, shooting a, a 410 out of a 20 gauge barrel, because you're not really going to get much constriction from a choke so your pattern's right. not super great but that's where you know you look at modern shells right like look at apex and their tss you know both of my five-year-olds shot their first duck with nine shot 410 out of a 20 gauge and killed a duck dead in a doornail you know mm-hmm. when i was a kid we didn't we didn't have that stuff uh so there are some upsides to it uh but that's anyway that's how a gauge reducer works i think i maybe a little long-winded there but uh they are worthwhile and they do give you some options there on what you yeah. can, what you can shoot. 
Well, and you know, some of the obviously with the all the rage of the sub gauges going on now, because yes, our our ammunition is is much improved, uh, where you can shoot much lighter loads and and all that if you so choose. Um, you know, you still got plenty of people shooting twelve gauges and and um, and twenty gauges, but you know, now you're seeing this whole scene of four tens and twenty eight gauges. So kids that when they get in there, if they're not to twenty gauge yet. Um, you know, when they get in their kind of their early teens, um, you know, they're, they're going to be able to find some really nice guns um, at that, you know, at 28 gauge, um, you know, that, that kind of fit uh, out of a, you know, almost yeah. an adult size gun. I remember, I remember I had a, the youth model 870 when I was, uh, you know, early teens. I think we had it. We also had a, a youth model Ithaca and, you know, I just had a smaller stock and then my, Mm-hmm. My boys, when they graduated from the 410, then to the 20 gauge single shot, then they graduated to an 870. That we had the stock modified um, and made it, uh, you know, made it shorter for them and easier to fit and hold it uh, snug. Because both my boys, when they were younger, they were they were pretty pretty small, I guess. But uh, we still have that gun. My wife shoots it. I put the I put the youth model factory stock back on it, but. Um, yeah, it was a fun little gun. In fact, Coverde was wood back then, and now it's all the. I've got the plastic forearm and yeah, and stock on it. But we modified that gun a lot to fit the particular shooter, and it's it served us for probably. I mean, Reed's twenty; he'll be twenty eight here in a couple of weeks. So, I mean, it, it served us twenty years at least um, shooting yeah. that thing, and and continue to tweak it depending on the shooter. Well, that's so. That's one of the great things about the. The 870 and the, that Remington gun and that platform is the availability of parts for it. I, I mentioned my grandfather's gun there, right? So I found a barrel and found other stocks for it. So I wasn't cutting up heirloom, you know, hand down, handed down pieces of furniture for it. Uh, you can go find express stocks on eBay that are super cheap, cut them down to what you need. And as your kid grows up into a bigger gun, put the original stuff back on it. And he's got somebody he's going to keep, he or she, excuse me, has something they're going to keep, you know, as long as they want to hang on to it. Um, and there's a lot of, uh, a lot of really good new options too. You, know, you mentioned the 28 gauge. So I think just this week at shot show, Benelli announced they're going to make their super black able threes in compact, uh, 28 twenties and, uh, 12 gauges. Yeah. Now, I saw that. Yeah. Well, one thing to remember though, about a lot of these compact or youth guns, is it typically they're 13? Some of these guns are 13 and a half inch length of the pool. So, their definition of compact or youth may not quite be ours, depending on how old your kid is when they're hunting. There are some really good uh, smaller versions. So Remington has an 870 out, a 20 gauge that's got a 12 inch length of pool. So that's a, they've got one that's a little bit bigger too. So they've got two different youth guns available in 870, but that 12 inch gets you down to a really small stature kid. And then Benelli's Monte Feltro, that's what my 10 year old's shooting right now. It's 12 and a half inches uh, length the pool, and he loves it. Now, he's five foot one, so, you know, taller for his age. But that kind of gives you a reference point to length the pool versus the height. You know, so when you're talking 13 or 13 and a half, you're talking a kid that's five, three or so, you know. So this is not little kid stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. It's more preteen, I guess, kind of in that stage. So I guess suggestion there is just – if you're not sure what length the pool your child is, ask around, find some on the internet, uh, do some Googling. You can measure it, um, but try to find something that fits them. If it, if it fits them well, they're going to be comfortable and it's, it's going to be a lot more successful. And, and I'll go back to that little Mossberg again. It's a neat setup in that uh, even the, the distance from the, the trigger shoe back to the grip is shortened. You know, you think about a, all of these other youth guns, they don't shorten the gap from the pistol grip to the trigger. It's the same as it is for an adult hand. Well, you're talking about a little five, six, seven, eight-year-old. Their hands aren't as big as ours, so it's harder for them to even reach that trigger. So that Mossberg, is, it's shortened up a lot right there. And then even the forend on it, because it's a pump gun, the forend is longer. So they can, you know, sometimes they can kind of only get their hand to the front edge of that receiver. So that forend is kind of elongated there to help them get to it. Um Anyway, a lot of little options out there. We may uh, post some pictures on the Instagram this week and kind of show people what we're talking about, give them an idea, but get them out there, get them comfortable, and 
get them addicted, hooked on the sport. <laughs> well, that's the key. And yeah, every every opportunity you have to just improve the experience for them, the the better it's going to go in the long run. I mean, you can overlook a lot of things and, you know, kind of cut corners here and there on stuff. And I'm not talking about spending money necessarily. I'm talking about just getting them into clothes that fit, boots that fit. Um, you know, you talked about Shin's waiter program. You know, that's the that's a big holdup for people is is the expense of buying waiters and you know they're going to grow and see, I mean, why would I do all that for these waiters? And their program where you can, you know, you can trade them in and, and upgrade size is, is, is pretty clever. And um, that'd be a great benefit because uh, we were, we were just passing around waiters down generation, you know, to mm-hmm. the next kid that could kind of fit them. And sometimes it fit them pretty good. Sometimes it didn't fit them at all. Um, but yeah, that, you know, you want to you want to create somebody you know a hunting buddy for life kind of deal, um, man. Don't cut corners when they're kids because you're going to look yeah. up one day and go, man, I can't figure out why he doesn't like duck hunting anymore. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, I was thinking about your your comment about passing stuff around. Uh, if you're a good Catholic like me, I've just got enough kids that we wear stuff out, so it's a lot easier to justify <laughs> buying that right. stuff when you it's going to yeah. get used by four of them before it's all said and done. Yeah. Yeah. You get your money's worth out of that for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. Somebody, man, back early on, I posted a picture one of my kids is wearing Sitka and somebody popped off about wasting money on that. Blah, blah, blah. And like someone else responded like, he's got four kids. That thing's going to get used up before yeah. it's all said and done. <laughs> yeah. Uh, between the four of them, they'll give that Sitka jacket all at once. Yeah. But uh, yeah, man, get them. Gee whiz, if you're willing to spend it on yourself, why wouldn't you spend it on your kid? I, I know they're not going to have it for that long, but their comfort, you just can't stress that enough. Uh, their no. comfort is utmost priority. Well, I mean, with Facebook Marketplace or, you know, we get around Little Rock, there's all these these garage sale uh, mm-hmm. deals on Facebook. You can unload that stuff, no problem, because people are always looking for it. Get your use out of it and then move it on down the line. Give it to your, you know, your brother's kids or, you know, whatever you can find, you can find a landing place for that gear um, and, and, and not have any problem and no remorse that, man, I wish I would have bought better clothes with my kid because he hates duck hunting now or she, you know, we're, so, he or she. Right. Somebody's going to hear this and, and start a new website here in this conversation, but it's a wonder you look at all these sports programs like play it against sports all those other things people have no trouble picking up used gear or used equipment for lacrosse or football or baseball it's amazing that there's not something like that out there for hunting um, yeah because i mean who who wouldn't pick up a used item for their kid to wear for a season or two and then pass it on down the line yeah yeah um, i hope somebody out there ends up ends up somewhere because I, I most of the people i know they do buy their kids better stuff and yeah. they and they do hand, hand it, you know, pass it on, give it away to somebody they know that's got a kid coming up. I, that's right. I, I see it frequently, yeah. so um, that's probably why there's no website because it's maybe it is landing landing in the right spot. That's yeah. Maybe there's no need for it. People, are, yeah. I mean, I know what, I've got jackets on loan and people borrowing waiters and yeah. So yeah. But yeah, I mean, they've I don't know. They've got a a great kids have a great opportunity to go out and enjoy the sport. You know, as far as being comfortable and not not having to learn like we did that duck hunting can be cold and miserable. Um. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, we've got a we got one more little segment to this episode um, that somebody that reached out to you via Instagram, uh, I believe, and and had has done something pretty cool, and. I, I think it'd be appropriate place to kind of wrap this episode on on the youth up with uh, with with what she's done. Yeah, I think it's really you know you you look at what she's done and, and uh, her book. It's kind of the I don't know the the pinnacle of of what all is available out there for children today. Uh, it, it, the sport is very I feel like it's very youth centered, and in that in that light, it's going in a really good direction. Uh, so that's exciting that, that we're doing all this for kids, that they can be this comfortable and that we're, we're working that hard to, to specialize stuff for them. Yeah, for sure. So on the subject of, of youth and all things kids today, uh, I had someone reach out to me recently with a, a pretty cool project she'd been involved in. Uh, 
Uh, Taylor Garcia is the author of Oh My, How My Ducks Fly, and she reached out, sent us a copy of it. My kids have absolutely loved it, so I wanted to have her on, give her a chance to talk about the book and her inspiration and kind of where that came from. Taylor, welcome to the show. Hey, guys. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah. So, so where, I, yeah, what, what, where'd the motivation? You, so you've written other books, right? No, this was actually my first children's book, kind of a, kind of a one-off children's author. Uh, definitely a passion project of mine, something that I, I felt very strongly about. I'm an avid waterfowler. I've got lots of kids that lots of kids start. I don't have kids. I have lots of friends who have kids um, and lots of family members. And uh, so, so there was a lot of inspiration behind this book. Uh, one of which was my own my my own personal duck dog. Um, but then it was also you know friends of mine that are very active in the waterfowl hunting industry and, uh, some close, a really close friend of mine was having a baby and, uh, I was scouring the internet bookstores. I could not find a book that I thought was worthy, uh, enough. And so the idea came to me. I always wanted to write a children's book. It was on, it was on my bucket list and I, I probably will write more, uh, at this point, but just definitely something I really felt passionate about and wanted to do and, and bring to life. And so I did it. Awesome. Awesome. So I haven't seen a copy of the book um, and my kids are older. That <laughs> definitely not children's book mm -hmm. uh, material because my youngest son is 23. So, um, but, but maybe explain for those that haven't seen the book, you know, what the, what the messaging is and, and what, what you're trying to, what you're trying to do with the book, you know, for, absolutely. for children. Yeah, absolutely. So honestly, adults, can take a lot of value. I'm, I'm glad that you said that because regardless if your son's 23, if he's two, three, four, five, however, whatever the age, um, I've actually had a lot of adults come back and say, wow, you know, I, I really did learn a lot from your book. So the whole emphasis of this book was really, ed you know, educational, make it fun. Uh, I've got quite a few friends. Like I said, I, I've got some a few friends and family members and my own nieces and nephews that there's really nothing out there that helps you identify these ducks in, in a very accurate manner and gives you a little bit of insight on, you know, their, their distinctive flight patterns. And so this book cover to cover, whether you're an adult or, or a child, and obviously it's a, it's a children's book targeted at the kiddos. Um, but I really wanted to involve children in the, the, the whole endeavor of duck hunting or waterfowl. And quite frankly, there's no mention of hunting specifically in the book. And that was mainly so that way, you know, if you're just, if you're a birder, if you're somebody who really just enjoys waterfowl, but you don't hunt them, you can really still take a lot of value out of this book. So cover to cover, you're able to identify some of the most common species of ducks, you know, in the U.S., as well as gain some insight on how they fly. You know, for example, pintail fly very high and they're a very graceful bird. And, you know, versus a mallard who's got a little bit of a, you know, different flight pattern versus a redhead and a widgeon and a gadwall. And so I go in on on each one of these different species. You know, they all have fly at a different certain, you know, certain level. They're all, they all have their own quirks. And so point in case, I, I really just wanted to have something that children could be involved in at an earlier age. And I've had so much, it's been really fulfilling getting feedback of folks that are like, Hey, my, my daughter is now in the duck blind with me and she's pointing out what ducks are what. And so it's, it's just really cool to see. And there's really nothing like it. Uh, and the market. And I, I wanted to fill this gap of the educational aspect of, hey, you know, whether you're a duck hunter or just a birder or nature enthusiast in general, here's a little bit more insight on what these birds do, what they act like, how they fly, what they look like. And I spent some time uh, on getting these illustrations very, very accurate. So overall, that's the, the gist of it cover to cover. Yeah, I, I think you'd you nailed it. You did an excellent job from my three-year-old daughter who enjoys, you know, kind of looking at the pictures with her brothers to my eight-year-old son who's enamored with bird ID and, and all things <laughs> bird related. Uh, he, he has really consumed it and enjoyed it. So it covers minor that range from 
10 down to three years old and it's got something for all of them. Uh, so you did a fantastic job with it. We've enjoyed it. Well, thank you. Tell, yeah. Tell us a little bit. Uh, I assume that you're a duck hunter. Yes. <laughs> yes. Awesome. Okay. Tell us a little bit about your start in the sport and kind of your path. Yeah. So I really, as a child, I did not get the luxury of growing up duck hunting. Uh, it was something that I definitely took to later in my teens in young adulthood. And that was also something that filled, you know, the inspiration was I, I'm a very avid duck hunter. I, I, I guide duck hunts on the side. I, you know, I run my dog and hunt tests and all that good stuff. and just ducks in general, I'm, I genuinely care for the longevity and the conservation uh, of them. And so to, to have that added perspective of, hey, I didn't really get to grow up doing this, but I want to provide something that gives back to kids that, that are able to get their start early in, into duck hunting. I absolutely love it. And I just, I personally feel like everybody needs to experience it. You just learn so much about, you know, nature and yourself and just that's hunting in general. Uh, so I didn't grow up duck hunting, like I said. And so I got a little bit later of a start versus some. And so just the passion that I have uh, for waterfowl in general, I, it, it's a very fulfilling uh, hobby sport of mine. Uh, my dog personally is like my kid. Uh, I you know, we go everywhere together. And, and that was part of the inspiration of the book was uh, watching my dog at a very young age learn to discern uh, non-waterfowl birds from ducks. You know, your coots and your seagulls and all your other shorebirds. There is there's a lot of dogs out there that will go nuts over something that is not a duck. <laughs> and so sure. it's pretty funny to watch. Uh, and, you know, people, too, I, I get clients and, and friends that I take hunting and I'm a really big advocate, whether, you know, no matter what walk of life, if you want to go duck hunt, let's go. I want to show people the way. And so this book really is part of doing that, uh, where I had some really great uh, family members and friends that, that showed me, you know, the art of waterfowl hunting. And I was just ate up with it, still am. Uh, enough to write a children's book on it. Uh, and so that that was really a lot of my my heavy inspiration was not growing up doing it and wanting to truly and genuinely provide a platform for other folks and, and children to, you know, get their start. And hopefully, you know, the book is something that sparks something in kids, whether it's just a general love of nature or, hey, I really, really like ducks. I want to be a duck hunter, too. Uh, you know, it's just whatever walk of life, uh, this book can provide something of value. That's super cool. And, and I think it's it's a good time and place for for something like this and people to take more interest in educating kids that there's more to this than just the, the trigger pull part. Um, and absolutely, and, uh, you know, what how amazing these birds are and what they do their day to day, not just the day to day of the wintertime, but I mean, they're, they're year round. They're just amazing animals that, uh, you know, the sooner you, I think the sooner you learn that appreciation for it and understand um, what a duck does to, to end up every year and hopefully over your decoy spread is, is just mm -hmm. amazing, amazing feat. And, and the sooner kids can appreciate that, I think that the sooner they'll appreciate uh, just what this sport is and gets to some of the depth just besides the, the pile picture and everything else we always talk about with, with what you see mainly on social media. So uh, hats off for, for kind of tackling that project. Um, tell me this, tell, where, if somebody was interested in getting a copy of the book, where do they find it? Yeah. So you can go to my website. It's ohmyhowducksfly.com. And there's a link on there. So actually right now, the luckily, absolutely blessed, uh, Amazon sold out very quickly and they're a little slower uh, to restock. So most major retailers have sold out of the book that is not permanently sold out. It will never be. Um, but you can get it online at ohmyhowducksfly.com and directly from the publisher. There's a link right there when you go to the website. It's on my social media as well. Uh, it's almost hard to miss at this point. You can give me a follow on Instagram and all that stuff. And the link is directly there. Well, thanks so much for joining us today. Uh, again, thank you for the book. 
absolutely wonderful job. Everyone go check it out. It's it's worth the read, whether you're an adult or a kid. Uh, if you've got young kids in the sport, like we've been talking about today, uh, definitely a must read for them. So Taylor, thanks again. Appreciate you coming on. Yeah, thank you guys for having me. I really, really appreciate it. All right, everybody. Thanks again for joining us for an episode of the Standard Sportsman Podcast. I hope everyone had a wonderful season and a wonderful youth hunt coming up. Uh, We'll be doing a lot of stuff through the offseason. It starts starts now. We'll start getting ready to start doing work. Uh, Flyway meetings are coming up in a couple weeks, so there will be no shortage of information coming out from us throughout the year. Uh, especially on the habitat side, stuff you can do to get ready for next year. Appreciate everybody who's come along this year. Stick with us. We're going to keep stuff coming. You can find us online at thestandardsportsman.com, on social media at the Standard Sportsman, or anywhere you get your podcast. Higden Decoys introduced the first motion goose decoy nearly 30 years ago, and they continue to push the industry today. Check out Higden.com to see their current lineup. And check out the foam field decoys, one of my favorites. Seems like there's always somebody in my blind who's ready to water swat the next duck.